We're in a series titled Cast of Characters and really looking at some prominent individuals from the Old Testament. And there may, be, there may come a time we'll revisit this and we'll do uh, the New Te- some New Testament characters. Uh, so I'm going to throw out some names to you. And most of you in this room, I think there's probably one person in this room, maybe two, that may know a couple of these names. Uh, Ron Collins, uh, Doug Clark, Lance Lesur, Robin Evans, Craig Forrest, Daryl Kenworthy. These names mean virtually nothing to anyone in this room except my wife. That's about it. She'll know some of them. She won't know others. Now, who are they? These are my friends. These are my friends. These are individuals that whether we grew up together in our neighborhood and got into all kinds of mischief there or whether it was high school or some of my college buddies that, you know, we did all kinds of crazy things together and just friends, friends. There's something really special, something really special about friends. And just, just so that we're clear, all of you here today are my friends. You go, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry. You should be a little more excited about that, you know, than you are. And, and, and from what I understand, what I understand, I have 1,931 friends on Facebook. Now, I'm not so sure that they're all that, they're friends, maybe in the, in the classic definition of a friend, because the classic definition of a friend is a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. Now, I consider, I consider all of the individuals I mentioned from my, from my formative years, as it were, to be my friends. I consider those of you in this room to be my friends. This, there's regard that I have for you, and I hope that would be mutual. I call these individuals, I call them friends. I call them friends. And that is a really significant, significant thing. The character we're going to talk about today, and I hope and I believe that we're going to gain some relevant wisdom from his life, is a man by the name of Abraham. And this is a, he's an extraordinary character in scripture. And we're going to see some of this. And let me, just, let me just say, his story is found from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through Genesis chapter 25, verse 11. And we're going to read all of it today. Stay with me. Stay with me here. We're not going to, we're not going to spend the time reading 14 chapters. Why do I mention it? Because I want to encourage you to read a story. There is a tremendous amount to be gleaned in just reading his story, and, but we're going to draw some highlights from his story that I believe will be helpful to us. The first highlight is this, a journey of faith, a journey of faith. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse number one. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, and let me just stop, we have Abram, Abraham. We're going to talk a little bit about this name change, but this is how he is identified initially in Scripture, is Abram. And then his God will change his name to Abraham later. Okay. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. 
and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah, Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Here we see Abram leaving that which is comfortable to him. He's leaving his home. In fact, if you read a little bit of the backstory, you'll learn that his father had actually left a place called Ur and had traveled towards, in fact, the scripture says it, on his way to Canaan. But when he came to Haran, he stopped. And I wonder, I've often wondered about that. I wonder if there was a promise for his father that he just didn't completely follow through with God. And I wonder sometimes in my own life, and I won't speak for anybody but me, if God says some things and I just stop just a little bit short and don't receive all that God has for me, my hope would be is that all of us would continue to press through when we would follow God to the fullest extent. We see that in Abram's life. And what's really fascinating, he's 75 years old when he, when he follows God. Now, he comes out of a culture that believes in many gods, a polytheistic culture. And now this one God reveals himself to him. And this one God says, Abram, I want you to do this. Abram doesn't really know God. I mean, he's just, if any, he has little tiny bit of knowledge about God. But God says, go. And what does Abram do? He goes. He says, yes. That is extraordinary to me. Martin Luther King made a great statement. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the rest of the staircase. Isn't that the truth? And what is so fascinating to me is that Abram does that. He doesn't really know God. I mean, he, to maybe a small degree, but he follows him. He obeys him. He takes this step of faith. He's on a journey of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6 reads, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And it's, again, in Abram's life, we see this incredible promise made to him that you're going to be a blessing in three different ways. So many good things are going to come out of your life. Just trust me, follow me, take this step of faith. I look at my life and I wonder, how often does God say, do this? And I say, no. Yes. No. Now, why am I doing it like that? Because our granddaughter, Moxie, she's it just turned 18 months. She's learning to talk. So... Amanda called us the other day, or did a FaceTime with us, and said, got to show you this. Point at her and say yes. So I did this. Yes. And she went, no. So I said, i got to do this again. This is too much fun. Yes. No. And I thought to myself, that's exactly how many of us respond to God. God says, go. We say, no, because I can't see the rest of the staircase. I can't see where this is going to lead me. And my trust level is only so much. 
that I'm just not sure I can really take that second step. But Abram is an incredible statement and testimony to faith that he took that step, maybe not with full knowledge of where it would lead or even the one who was calling, but yet he responded to God. As he continued his journey, he, he went from, to a place called Shechem and then on to Bethel. And in both of these places, this journey of faith included something that is really significant in his life. You'll see that when he got to Shechem, he did something. He built an altar. When he moved from Shechem to Bethel, what did he do? He built an altar. And four more occasions in Scripture of his journey, you will see those same words. He built an altar. I'm, I'm intrigued by his developing relationship with God. Because his developing relationship with God extended beyond just steps of faith and moved into an attitude of worship. Personal worship. He was dedicating moments to God. He was focusing his attention upon the God who was revealing himself. That is significant. And I think... I think about this, am I, building, am I building any altars? Now, you say, well, I'm, are, are you like piling up stones, Gary? Is that what you're doing? No, and I'm talking about piling up stones. I'm talking about dedicating moments of my day on a regular basis and worshiping the God who has called me, the God who has given all for me, the God who loves me, the God who is faithful to me, the God who will lead me, the God who will guide me, the God who protects, the God who provides, the God who is my righteousness, and I could go on and on. Am I building my altars of worship on a regular basis? In other words, am I turning my attention off of the things that are around me to the God who loves me? It's important for us to remember Something Jesus said in John chapter 4, he said, the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and that time is already here. You see, the Father, too, is actively seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I would just encourage us, in our journey of faith, Yes, respond to God in obedience. Follow him. He will never lead us into places that are not for our good and for our best and have the best of our intentions in mind. But also in the midst of that, worship him. Turn your attention to God. There's something else about his journey of faith. Now, I said a minute ago, he's 75 years old. He's taking this journey of faith. But the completeness, the totality of the promise that God made him, he will never fully understand or witness, ever. In fact, he won't even get full information about what's going on for 25 years. I wonder, how, how would I do with that? How would I hang in there if it was the same thing for me? I wonder how we would do with that. God says, go, we go, but then we don't hear anything for 11 years. It's kind of his story. And then God says something else, and he doesn't hear anything else for another 13 years. What? 
And now the, 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 the information is just unfolding. 25 years, and he still doesn't have complete information. And then the information he does have, well, think of it this way. Let me, let me say it this way. His name, Abram, means exalted father. He has no children. That's his name. He has no children. And now God says, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be the father of many of multitudes, all the people on the earth are going to be blessed because of you and through you, oh, exalted father. And, you know, think about that. My name's exalted father and I have no kids. How does this work? God will change his name a little bit later to be the father of many. And he only has one, and it wasn't necessarily by the, the, we'll get to that in a minute, how that all came about, a little dysfunctional, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I wonder how we would do under similar circumstance. We hear from God, we believe that we've heard from God, we're following God, we're obeying God, and we're loving God, and we're worshiping God, but we don't have all the information. You know, there's a lot of things in my life I don't have all the information. I don't know, I kind of have an idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but I really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have all the information. I, I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. I was telling Marcy last night, I went upstairs and got upstairs and realized I'd forgotten something downstairs. And before I had, as soon as I got upstairs, I said, man, I don't know what it's going to be like climbing these stairs 10 years from now. Because I'm kind of, I'm thinking, I'm, this is ridiculous. I'm out of breath. And I went up the stairs. I said, this is nuts. Now I have to go back downstairs because I forgot something. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I don't know what life is going to look like. I don't know certain things about even my journey of faith. But I know in whom I have believed. I know the one who has called me. And by worship, by my faithfulness, by continuing to follow Christ, something's going to happen. I am trusting and I am developing more and more trust in the God I am following. So I trust him. I trust him. I would I hang in there? I trust I would. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were the heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. And understand this, with God, a promise delayed does not mean a promise denied. We look at certain things in our life, and if it does not happen, just like we go to McDonald's and get the burger immediately, they don't have to go out and kill a cow and then do it all. No, we want everything right now. We want everything instant, and we believe the same thing is true with God. If God doesn't do it within the next five seconds, it's over. Can't handle it. Can't make it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've gone five seconds. What? No, remember, with God, a promise delayed is not a promise denied. What an example to follow the life of Abraham. The second observation from his life is perfection required. 
Uh, gratefully, no. Gratefully, no. Genesis 12. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. I know what, and as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. For a while he stayed at Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. Okay, on two separate occasions, Abram, Abraham told Sarai, now look, when we go into Egypt, say you're my sister. When he's, hang, when, he's, when he's with Abimelech, another one of the kings of that particular area, he says, say that you are my sister. Now, I'm going to do this because there's no way to illustrate it. Technically, quotes, she was his sister. Okay, technically. But the reality is she was his wife. So what is true? Well, both are true, but which is more true? She's his wife. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, as a child of the 70s, and I was thinking about that today again, I went to high school in the 70s, graduated high school in the 70s, graduated from college in the 70s, got married in the 70s, and had our first baby in the 70s. So the 70s are really, really good to me. But I'm going to tell you, it was, a, it was a wackadoodle decade. I don't know how else to say it. The hair was weird, and the clothes were worse. And I wore it all badly. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm not, I am not proud of the way I looked on my wedding day. It was just, a, she was gorgeous and I was some kind of a dope, I don't know what it was. It was just that decade. It, we all looked that way. I look back and I see all my friends, we all dressed the same, so I at least was in good company or bad company, I don't know which. The point is, there was a song that just kind of, it was goofy. It says, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. It's hard, really? I mean, what a, what a statement. But I think about perfection when it comes to the characters in Scripture. We often look at these individuals with high regard, as we should, but I think we take it beyond high regard and we ascribe to them perfection, that they lived perfectly. Now, if that were the case, I'm out of business because I can't measure up to that. Can I also just remind you, none of you can either. We're not perfect. We're not per Abram was not perfect. On two different occasions, he exposed his imperfections. He was fearful in the midst of even God leading him. He, he, was, he was intimidated by what might happen if certain things were to occur. Now, here's what I just want you to take from this. These are not perfect people. They are real people. That gives me hope. You see, real people living real lives, doing real things, having real fears, real insecurities, not really sure what's next, that gives me hope in this life. You see, this is not an excuse to being imperfect of having or displaying behavior that is unbecoming a follower of Christ. Just because, well, I'm not perfect. You know, what do you expect from me? I'm not perfect. Well, no, that's not, that's not an excuse. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 14 says, and it's important to hear this, with one sacrifice, 
Christ made his people perfect forever. They are the ones who are being made holy. Our perfection is not in our actions. Our perfection comes through what Jesus Christ has done for us. We become complete and perfect and holy because of Christ in our life. The third observation from Abram's life is that he was others focused. One of the qualities of his life that stands out very prominently is that he was focused on others. And you can see this when his nephew Lot and he had gained all of this material possession. He said to Lot, he said, look, you choose where you want to go. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go, I mean, you choose first. Lot chose towards the city of Sodom. And then later on, when five allied, five allied kings had gotten together and, and conquered Sodom and taken all of the, the people, including Lot, away, Abram got his 318 trained individuals they went after, and they re- rescued everything, or rescued Lot, and then all of the, all of the uh, returned all of the people back to their residences. He then expressed extraordinary hospitality to three travelers who came to, his, uh, to where he was camped in his tent site. And then in Genesis chapter 18, one of the greatest prayers ever prayed, Abram prayed. And let me set it up for you. These three travelers came along with an appearance of two, these three travelers. One of them was an Old Testament appearance of, of Jesus and then two angels. And they approached Abram and he extended hospitality to them. And, and you read in this story, it says, should we withhold from Abram what we're about to do? Because we learned that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah had reached the ears of God and God had to do something. Once again, last week I talked about when sin reaches critical mass, God's going to respond. And again, here in this particular area, sin had reached critical mass and God's responding. And so in the midst of this, we, we find the following passage of Scripture, Genesis 18. Then Abraham approached him, and this is now the Lord. The two others, the two angels have, have left and they're on their way to Sodom. The name of him approached him and asked, do you plan to destroy the good people along with the evil ones? What if there are 50 good people in that city? Will you still destroy it? Surely you'll save the city for for the 50 people living there. Surely you will not destroy the good people along with the evil ones. Then they would be treated the same. And listen to this great verse. You are the judge of all the earth. Won't you do what is right? And the answer to that question is yes. God will do what is right. The judgment of God was coming on Sodom. And in this this dialogue that Abram has with God, he says, will you spare it for 50? Will you spare it for 45? Will you spare it for 40? Will you spare it for 30? Will you spare it for 20? Will you spare it for 10? And God says, "For, for the sake of 10, I will spare the city. Think about that. Think of the boldness that Abram had to talk to God like that. Say, God, will you do this? If, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? He just kept pushing. He kept pushing. He kept pushing. And God finally told him, he said, look, for the sake of 10, I'll spare it. I, I love one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is this verse. You are the judge of all the earth. Won't you do what is right? I want you to take encouragement from that because the judge of all the earth will always do what is right. 
always. He, he will never do something that is wrong. He will always do that which is right. And I, the application that I want you to draw from this, or that I draw from this and I leave it with you, we live in very perilous times. I'm not looking for an amen here, so don't, don't consider this. I just want to say that again. We are living in perilous times. I said last weekend, and I don't know that I had ever said it before, but I'm going to say it again today. One of the things that Jesus said, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. And last weekend I said, I believe that we are living in the days of Noah. I don't know the full implication. I know the implications of that long range. I get that. I don't know the time frame of that. No one does but God. I understand that. We are living in perilous times. And if there is ever a time that you and I should be approaching God's throne in prayer with boldness, it is now. Church of Jesus Christ, church, Crossroads Church, it is time for us to pray as we have never prayed before for our nation, for our state, for our cities, for our world. It is incumbent upon the people of God to pray. It is if we humble ourselves and pray. That's when God responds. It is not the responsibility outside the body, the family of God, the body of Christ, the family of God. It is our responsibility. And I wonder if we are as bold as Abram was bold. He said, for the sake of 50, 45, 30, 20, 10, I wonder if I'd have said, Lord, for the sake of whatever, okay, I'm done. I'll leave it there. Boldness, boldness. Don't be afraid to pray boldly. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And I chose that, the New Living Translation, for that very reason. Come boldly, what? To the throne of our gracious God. That implies, that literally defines how good God is. That the judge of all the earth will do right. He will always operate according to his character, which is grace. Grace. But it doesn't mean that the God of all the universe will be inactive. He will respond to his creation. And in the meantime... It is the responsibility of the people of God to pray. Be others focused. Be others focused. There's so many different ways that we can do it, but just be encouraged by Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We see that in the life of Abram. The next observation is taking matters into our own hands. It's not good. It's not good. Abram was promised by God that he would be the father of nations. His exalted father, the father of nations. I have learned something over the years, and I've been, I've been pretty open about this, and I'm not at all ashamed to do this, or to say this. I've been open about this over the years, and I've learned some things, that um, when, it's, when it relates to certain mechanical things in my life, I, that's not me. I'm okay, and I'm okay with that. 
you don't want me overhauling your engine on your car. That would be catastrophic. You don't really want me doing much of anything around your house. That would also be catastrophic. That's not me. And I'm okay with it. I have learned. I've, I've reconciled. I'm good. I'm good. Some of you in this room are really good at that. But for me, if I were to take matters into my own hands about certain things, it would be a disaster. Now, it's interesting. Um, it's not wise to take matters into our own hands. And in this particular context, to get ahead of God's plan. That's exactly what happens in Abram's life. He realizes God's, God's promise to him, you're going to be the father. So at that particular time in the, ancient, in the ancient Near East, it was customary for the woman of the house, if unable to have children, to have a servant build a family for her. That was customary. So because of the custom, let's do it that way. Maybe that's God's idea. I wonder if we've ever asked that question. I wonder if that's God's idea. I don't know. Sometimes that doesn't work out particularly well. And in this particular case, it didn't work out well at all. And just so that we know this, and this is not in your notes, but just hear this. Spiritual challenges, spiritual challenges are not overcome by physical means. Spiritual challenges are not overcome by physical means. God is the one who has to do certain things, and God has made a promise to Abram, and he will, be, he will fulfill that promise. Genesis chapter 16 says, So Hagar bore Abram, Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Even though Sarai was culturally justified in building a family through her servant girl, this was not God's plan. And the consequences, dear friends, continue to this day. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations around this world. They got ahead of God, and now even all of these thousands of years later, we are still experiencing consequences. If you're waiting on God for a promise to be fulfilled, if you're waiting on God for his provision to occur, if you're waiting on God for his plan to come to fruition, be patient and trust God. There was 11 years between the time of the call of God on him until Ishmael was born. But that was not God's answer. God's answer was yet in the future. And God would be faithful to that. God will be faithful to what he has promised and what he has said he will do on our behalf. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, on, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground, and he steadied me as I walked along. Once again, I waited patiently for the Lord to help. Dear friends, hear me. Hear God's word. Wait patiently on God. Don't get ahead of God because when we get ahead of God, the consequences can be catastrophic. Another observation from his life is obedience, plain and simple. I said last week, get ready because each and every week we're going to talk a little bit about obedience in these characters. There's no doubt, there's no doubt that obedience is a quality that is clearly seen in his life. But I'll say it was tested. 
So now let's go through the timeline a little bit. One more time. 75 years old when, he call, when God calls him. 11 years later, Hagar bears him a son by the name of Ishmael. But that's not the promised son. God said, there's going to there's gonna come some, a son from you and Sarah. When God told Abram and Sarah that, you know what they did? They laughed. Why wouldn't they laugh? He was 99 and she was 90. Talk about a geriatric pregnancy. There you go. What in the world? It makes no sense. It didn't even make sense at this particular time in history. In fact, the scripture talks about Sarah as being beyond childbearing years. In other words, this is going to be a miracle when this happens. Genesis 22, verse 1 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son. Now, he's not talking about Ishmael, he's talking about Isaac. This child of promise, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. And his response, Abraham's response was, what? I've waited for 25 years, I've waited all of these years for the baby to be born, and now all these years later, you're asking me to do this. No, Abraham, Abraham did not say that. Abraham took his son and did exactly what God said to do. Obedience. Sometimes obedience will cost us a lot. But it's worth it. Because we're of the, of the one we are following. And we can trust God to always do that which is right. So he takes his son. And we read in verse number 4 and verse number 5 of that same chapter. On the third day... Abraham looked, looked up and saw the place in the distance. This is Moriah. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys, with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. Look at this statement. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. What had God asked him to do? Sacrifice his son. And he was being obedient in the process. And even as he is in the process, he says, stay here. We're going to go worship and we're going to come back. What does that say? Obedience coupled with his faith will prove to be an extraordinary statement of God's faithfulness, but also an incredible marker in the life of Abraham as a man, as a person of obedience. So I would ask, how are we doing with our obedience I don't know that God has ever asked us to do anything quite like this. But are we being obedient even in the smallest of things? Because it really is a matter of our faith, our trust, our confidence in God. I want to encourage you in that Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord and it was credit to him as righteousness. He, He believed God and his word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, incredible German Lutheran pastor during World War II or prior to World War II, and then he was interned and died in a, uh, in a concentration camp in World War II. He wrote a book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And one of the quotes from his book, this is what he said, one, only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient, believes. What a statement. I look at my life and I wonder, am I, am I believing? 
Because if I believe, then I'll be obedient. And if I'm obedient, it's an evidence of belief. Abraham, Abraham took God at his word and he acted on it. And I want to challenge all of us this morning. Take God at his word and act on it. Don't let it be just something that kind of sits dormant in our life, but act on it. Take that step of faith. Abraham's obedience resulted in a threefold blessing. That he would be blessed, that he would be a blessing, and that he would be a channel of blessing. And I believe the same promise is true for us. Abraham was an extraordinary individual in Scripture. Great character. And we simply don't have the time to unpack all of his life. In fact, I was, I was thinking about this week and chatted with a couple of folks. I did a seven-week series on, the, on Abraham. So trying to do it in one Sunday is just not, it, you just can't unpack the, the richness of this man's life and character. But Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 is the scripture that anchors our series. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught through the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And my, my hope this morning is that you look at his life of faith and worship, being others-focused. He's not perfect. He's a real person. That you, you see this prayer of intercession that he made for, for Sodom. You, you see his obedience that just is fully tested but yet comes out so amazing. Uh, my hope and prayer is, is that we would walk with this and say, okay, I, I can have hope because of this. I can have hope. If he can obey under the circumstances, if, if he can have faith, if he can take those steps, I can do this. I'm not being asked to do anything, anything close to what Abram was asked by God. And just so that you know, and I think you, you, you kind of, if you have any understanding of, of the story of Abraham, you realize that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. How does that happen? That happens because of Jesus. Comes from Abraham's lineage. And we are the benefactors today of Abraham's faith and his obedience and his character. Let us be like him. As we began today, I talked a little bit about my friends. You're probably wondering, what was that all about? Well, I found this scripture. James chapter 2, and so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith, and he was even called the friend of God. The qualities that we've talked about this morning, I believe, in many respects, are qualities of friendship, trusting in someone that you have regard for, following their lead, having confidence in them, that they don't take you places that are anything but good. Abram, Abraham was the friend of God. So I have a question for us this morning. Are we God's friend? Are we God's friend? I wonder if God, I wonder if God would friend you on Facebook. I don't know. Maybe. Is it just an acquaintance that there really isn't a connection there? 
It's just this, well, I kind of yeah, know about them, and I've got about 1,565 people that I kind of know about on Facebook, and about 400 friends, maybe. That may be a stretch. My point is this. I'll ask it again. Are we called, God for, are, are we called God's friend? You see, Jesus would say this in John chapter 15. You are my friends if you obey me. And obedience here is just simply coming to faith in Christ, putting our trust and our confidence in him, and then following him. As we follow him, friendship with God is the outcome, is the byproduct. So I would just ask again, are we a friend of God? Lord, I pray this morning that you'll take your word and these comments and thoughts, observations about Abraham's life, Abraham's life, that we would look into our own, our own journey of faith. Are we walking by faith? Are we living by faith? Are we, are we setting up these moments of worship? Are we connecting with the God who has called us? Lord, we do deal with our imperfections as well we should. But Lord, we're, per- we're perfect in you if we have this relationship with you. And I pray this morning that we, that we do. Lord, are we focused on others or, or really is our life all about us? Do we look to others and prefer them above ourselves? Lord, are we willing to pray a prayer that's bold we're willing to be obedient even when we're tested to our kind of the fullest extent. I pray that the answer to all of this is yes. God, I want to be considered your friend. And I know I am your friend if I follow you, if I obey you. To believe is to obey, to obey is to believe. And I pray that we would live that. And that would be our experience this morning. Thank you. Give you all the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to come into a time of prayer and worship, and I'll invite the prayer team as, to come, and they'll be available to pray with you as to whatever may be on your hearts this morning. But I'm going to ask a very simple question, and we don't have to bow our heads on this, because I think univer- I think this is a universal question that every one of us can answer honestly. I really do. And I don't think I don't think it's something that's intimidating. So I'm just going to ask it. Here we go. You ready? By raising your hand, say, I would like to be, I want to be a friend of God. I want to be called God's friend. Now, you can put your hands down. Think about that. I think that is an absolute, as I said, universal, universal question with a universal answer. I think we'd all like to be God's friend. What does it require? To trust in Christ. Put your faith in Him. Put your faith in Him. It's not in the faith of the other stuff. It's not getting, it's not getting ahead of God. It's no, no. No, it is putting your trust and your faith in Him. So Jesus, the hands that have been lifted this morning, while not specific for those who might Say, I want to be a friend of God, and this is going to be, I'm going to do this today. First time, I'm making a, dedica- a declaration of my trust and faith in God. 
If that's the case, we're so excited for that decision to follow you. But Lord, on a more general note, for all of us, to be a friend of God is to be a a person who is willing to be obedient to you, follow after you. So Lord, that's our prayer this morning. On this journey of faith, we're going to take steps even though we can't see the rest of the staircase. We're going to set up an altar of worship in our life. We're going to dedicate some moments to you. We're not just going to be focused on the things around us. We're going to look to you. Lord, I, I pray that we would also be so careful to be concerned about others, to boldly pray, to, to look for the benefit or look to the benefit of others before we look to, the benef- to benefit ourselves. Let us be obedient, Lord. Let us follow you, not get ahead of you. And Lord, as we do these things, I'm absolutely confident the friendship with God will grow. You will know us more and more, and we will know you. But Lord, it all begins with a relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to nurture that and to grow that. We pray all of these things today in Jesus' name.